Solomon's. Yeah. There's but one journey left to take, and that is the pathway of death. But yet, right before Solomon gets to the end of that journey, he has a sobering moment. And in verse 25 of chapter 2, you don't have to look there, but you might want to write that down. Solomon has a moment of clarity when he realizes after some time of trying to find meaning under the sun, because that's a, that's a key phrase in Ecclesiastes, he realizes that the only place that you can find meaning is not under the sun, but above the sun. The only place you can find true meaning in life is in the person of God. And so in that moment of clarity, Solomon has his salvation experience. He comes to the realization that you can have everything in the world, you can have all the relationships in the world, you can have all the intellect in the world, but to have all of that and not to have God is to have nothing. You can have everything and have nothing. And you can have God and have nothing but have everything. And Solomon would have been right in ending his book in chapter 2, verse 25. And he would have been very helpful to us. But Solomon continues his book for several more chapters. Why? Because Solomon knows something that you and I are going to struggle with. He knows that once you find meaning above the sun, in the Son of God, that that's not going to solve all of your problems. As a matter of fact, what Solomon is going to go on to do in the rest of the book is to show us that just because we now know where meaning comes from, it doesn't make life easier. As a matter of fact, Solomon is going to put forth to all of us that knowing God doesn't make life easier. In some ways, it makes life much more problematic. Life with a sovereign God can create perplexities and problems that did not exist before our knowledge of God. Solomon addresses these problems and perplexities head on in his book. Solomon, listen, shows us no matter how you slice it, the sovereignty of God lies behind everything that happens. The existence of evil is one of the greatest philosophical problems of all time. How can an all-holy God allow evil to even come into existence? In many ways, Satan is sometimes easier to understand than God. Why? Because, in a sense, Satan is very simplistic. He's evil, and everything he does is evil. That means that his reason for doing everything he does is very easily understood. God, however, is a problem. It's difficult at times to interpret his actions in the short term. If he's really good, and if he's really all-powerful, then why does COVID-19 even exist? Why does evil exist? Solomon tackles this in Ecclesiastes 3. So we're going to get to, let's read verses 1 through 11 to start with. I'm going to do a quick synopsis, all right? So let's read it. If you know 60s music at all, you're going to know this song, okay? For, every, for 
everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. It's the three one of Ecclesiastes, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A.K.A. the the elbow bump, all right, or the wave, as David said this morning. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into, the heart, uh, into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So let me take these first ten verses and give you a quick synopsis. Verse 1, Solomon clearly states that God has a plan and he doesn't waver from it. He is the one who has made the appointed time of everything. God is sovereign over everything. He's not always pleased, but God is never perplexed. God's not always pleased by what happens in the world, but God is never perplexed. No evil skirts his plan. No piece of the puzzle is left over at the end. God is sovereign or he's not. You you, you can't, it it is or it ain't, okay? Verses 2 through 8, Solomon says life is going to be like this and there's nothing that we can do about it solomon is teaching us that god is not your genie in the bottle god does not cooperate with us the way that we think that he should as was said of aslan in the chronicles of narnia he is not a tame lion And when we realize this, it leads us to a very human response that we see in verse 9. Why should I work so hard when everything is going to be destroyed? Just take heart in that. Build up lots of wealth, only to leave it to your children to squander. That's what he's saying. Why, Why would I do that? I mean, it seems like you can do all of this and get to the end, and in the end, you get a raw deal. Why get married when you just end up fighting and hurting one another? It's okay to say amen on that. I mean, let's just let's be real about marriage. It hurts. Why have a child and deal with the stress of disappointment? And all of you who said amen, thinking about your children, you were that child of disappointment to your children. Solomon is playing the devil's advocate. He is saying what all of us think and sometimes wish we could say. What profit is there? Listen, it is easy to get cynical in this world. It doesn't take any effort at all. And let me ask you, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel cynicism seeping into your soul? If you don't, you're not being honest. You're just, I mean, even even the most glass half full person has moments of cynicism. 
what's the use? Why not just go down to the beach and smoke dope? That's what he's saying. Why do all of this? So Solomon gives us some perspective, and that's what we need this morning. We need some perspective. Verse 10, how do we live with a God who doesn't always make sense? How do we live in a world that's out of our control? And for some of y'all, that's a, that's, a, that's a terrible world to live in. The Hebrew translation of the sons of men in verse 10 is the sons of Adam, reminding us of the fallen state of man. It's just hard to be fallen in a fallen world. <laughs> it's hard to be fallen. Somebody, that sounds like a country song, doesn't it? It's hard to be fallen in a fallen world. Now, let's get on to the, to the meat of the sermon. And this is going to go real quick here. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 11 through 15, gives us four platforms to stand on this morning. Okay? So, four platforms to stand on in this world of woe. Four pearls of wisdom that we can leave here with this morning to help us to navigate these days that we live in and not live like people who are not people of faith. I just want Christians to live like Christians. I want people of faith to live in their faith. Platform number one, God is wise. Look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God is wise. God is wise and even God is wise and even bad things have a purpose. He makes everything beautiful in its time. Ray Stevens sung about that. Our problem with God's wise plan is that he doesn't ask us for our opinion. <clears throat> I've said this for over 20 years now. There is no suggestion box in heaven. Y'all seen those at businesses? We'd like for your suggestions on how we could do better. No, not in heaven. God doesn't have one of those. Because he, he, he doesn't care about your opinion. Now, that's not to sound cruel and that God's not loving. He's just so loving that he won't want your opinion. We must trust him. We, we, we must do what the old hymn says, trust and obey for there is no other way, listen, to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You see, God far, is far more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Everything that happens to you has a spiritual significance. Don't focus on the pain, but the experience of God's plan. Now, see, I didn't think I'd get a witness this morning, so I went ahead and brought three witnesses of my own this morning to testify. Witness number one I will present to you is a man named Joseph, and he's come this morning because he'd like to give a testimony to you that, the, that, that, that God is more concerned about your character than your comfort, that God wants you to focus not on the pain of the experience, but on God's plan in the experience. And Joseph comes to testify, and he says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, don't, don't worry this morning that COVID-19 has come in to end the world as some people believe it has this morning. Trust me, COVID-19 has only entered the world ultimately to serve the sovereign purpose of God. See, I, it doesn't get, it, that just doesn't bring a witness. So good thing I brought three witnesses because y'all didn't bear too much witness to the first witness. So witness number two would like to step to the stage. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah says in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, Behold, it was for the welfare that I had great bitterness. It was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love, you, God, have, declared, have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Well, how about witness number three? Because you might say, well, those are Old Testament witnesses. God was a little bit different in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament. But I believe witness number three would testify that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And so Paul now makes his way to the witness stand. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Joni Erickson Tata, a woman who has spent her life in a wheelchair since her late teens, wrote these words in a book. She said, when life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus, with imitating him and quoting him and speaking of him, but only in suffering will we know Jesus. Platform number one, God is wise. Platform number two is God is mysterious. God is mysterious. Back to verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, God's plan is wise, but it's also mysterious. God has one plan from the beginning to the end. He doesn't react to the devil's activity as though he was in some kind of cosmic tennis match. God has put eternity in the heart of every human person, and, it, and in every person is the question, why? All through the Bible, we see men of God asking why bad things are happening. Have you ever wondered where, have you ever wondered where God was? Or if God even cared about what was going on in your life? Why do we ask those questions? Because God's put eternity in our hearts. We intrinsically know there must be some order and purpose to life. So even though we cannot recognize God's work or purpose in some things, we squint our eyes and we try to figure out what we cannot see. We ask questions like, why was I born this way? Why did my father treat me this way? Why did God take my friend? Why am I missing out on this blessing? We squint but we cannot see. He has put eternity in our heart, but he will not give us all the answers. He does things in our lives that are not pleasing or pleasurable, but they are wise. 
the mysteriousness of God serves one purpose, to create worshipers. Because I, tell you, I, I, will, I will tell you this this morning. There's only one thing that creates greater and greater worship. Not that you understand the thing more and more, but that you understand how much of that thing that you don't understand. Platform three. Get this this morning. This is the crux of my message. Don't let what you cannot know destroy what you can enjoy. Look at the next verse, verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. What does it say? This is what? A gift. We cannot let what we do not know destroy what we can't enjoy. You can't be God and control circumstances. There's nothing that you can do about it. I talk to Christians all the time who are upset because they're not God. I see the torment they experience, the helplessness that they feel, the confusion that they live in. But the truth is that they have never been able to understand everything that was occurring anyway, whether that be good or bad. So what should we do? Solomon tells us not to get cynical and be unhappy. Instead, what? He says, do good in your lifetime. In this short life, listen, you have to trust God and do good. Here's the sobering part of the sermon. Everybody's going to die. In 2009, over 700 million people contracted H1N1, a.k.a. the swine flu. And over 250,000 people died in 2009. Some of y'all don't even remember that. Well, you don't remember because we didn't shut down the airports and we didn't shut down schools and sporting events and everything else in the world didn't shut down. And, and I'm using the lower numbers. Some people say that it was 1.4 billion people contracted swine flu and 575,000 people died. That's the high number. The DOT, who Chuck works for, tells us that 1.25 million people are going to die in automobile-related accidents in 2020. But every one of y'all got in a car this morning and drove right on up here. Since January 22, 1973, if you were born after January 22, 1973, you are a very fortunate individual because 62 million American children have been aborted since January 22nd, 1973. America lost 58,220 of its own 
soldiers in the Vietnam War. And this year, the National Cancer Institute estimates that 8 million people worldwide are going to die of cancer. Pastor, I thought you was going to give us some words of comfort this morning. Well, we got to first sober up before we can get comfort. Too many people have drank too deeply of the bottle of despair. And I share all of those numbers with you this morning, not to depress you, but to comfort you. Because here's what I want you to realize. Many of us and many Christians across this world this morning, in the light of COVID-19, have forgotten all that God has brought us through in our life. Hmm? Do y'all get what I'm saying? How many of you were alive in 2009? Well, you're alive today, right? Well, God brought you through COVID, uh, swine flu. How many of you were alive and could have been in the war or went to the Vietnam War and are alive today? Well, God brought you through that. And best I can tell, all of y'all got in a car this morning and got here, and God got you through that. And how many other times have you gotten in the car and drove that car and drove thousands and tens of thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of miles and you are still here today? You don't forgot all that God has already brought you through. And let me ask you a question. If he brought you through that, don't you think he can get you through this? You see, sometimes we just have amnesia. We forget all that God has already, and if it were not for the Lord, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have made it through N1H1. You wouldn't have been born since 1973 if it was not for the goodness of God. So we just need to remember Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You, you know what? All throughout that Matthew 6 passage, beginning up in verse 25 all the way down through verse 34, in the Greek language, that really, I mean, that literally reads this way. Stop worrying. Why? Because worry and faith cannot coexist. We live in a broken world. We live in a world broken by sin, but we have a Father who cares for His own. He tells us to stop worrying and start enjoying. I might just stop and get me a Dr. Pepper and a Snickers bar and go home and just have a good old time. Stop and get you an ice cream on the way home or go to your favorite restaurant. Why? Because you're not dying of COVID-19. I don't know what my life holds. Someday a doctor may look up from his chart and tell me that he found something in me that shouldn't be in me. Someday a doctor, uh, someday I might, I might get cut, burned, and poisoned because I've got cancer. And I'll be miserable. But today, 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 I'm okay. And let me take my glasses off so I can look out at you. Guess what? Y'all, all of y'all looking pretty good today. All of y'all looking like you're doing pretty okay. Today, 
Now, you might not be okay tomorrow, but today you're okay. So why are you worried about tomorrow when today you're okay? Y'all can't even enjoy today because you're too worried about something that you don't know nothing about, which is called tomorrow. You think you're going to get up and go to work, but you may not. Babysitting the grandkids might be on the docket tomorrow, but it, it may not. You might be going fishing tomorrow, but you may not. You may have a doctor's appointment tomorrow, but you might not make it there. Some of you live such a charmed life, you don't even care about tomorrow. Because you ain't got nothing to do. It's called retirement. But today might be your last day of retirement. But you've got today. Enjoy it. You want to do the world some good? Do good today and enjoy it. That's how you do the world good. Do good today and enjoy today. Why? Because you're going to refuse to let what you cannot control destroy what you cannot enjoy. If you got two minutes, I'll finish and we'll sing two songs. And we'll be out of here at the top of the hour. Last platform is rest. <laughs> I love to rest. I love Sunday afternoons. It's raining. It's going to be even easier for me to go to sleep in my big old cushy recliner with my feet propped up, my head laid back, my belly full of lunch, and the trickle of raindrops on my roof. It'll be an easy afternoon for me to sleep. I might not even wake up. I might even sleep on till the morning. We're going to rest in God's sovereignty, right? Why? Because it says, I perceive that whatever God has done endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. We can rest in God's sovereignty. It's, the, his sovereignty is not meant to trouble us. It's meant to comfort us. When it, whenever anything horrible happens, there is only one thing that I have to know. God is in control. His plan is perfect. I have no problem with God allowing things that don't fit into my framework because I know that I'm a fool. But I will not live in a universe run by evil. If God is that weak, then I'm going to crawl into bed, pull the, head over my, pull the covers over my head, and I'm not ever coming out. Solomon tells us in verse 14 that everything God does will remain forever. He is not short-sighted in wondering how it's all going to work out in the end. God's goal is that men would fear him. Mystery shouldn't repel us. It should make us bow. Don't let the things you don't understand about God affect the things that you do understand about him. I love this last phrase. It says, that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. What? <laughs> what? Here's what he's saying. Everything that is happening now has been decreed in the past. Everything in the future will happen according to plan. And God seeks and fulfills what is lost from a human point of view. In other words, in God's wise arrangement of events, he can call back or seek the past and connect it to the future. 
So you may, you may explain that to you real quick. You ever, you ever put a puzzle together? What's on, the, what's, what's on the front of the puzzle box? A picture. Of what? Of the mess that's on the inside. So what do you know? You open up the box, and it's a big old hot mess, right? I mean, you'd be disappointed if it was open and already put together, right? That's not, the, that's not any fun. You buy the puzzle because you want to get in the mess. But the only reason why we do puzzles is because we have a picture that shows us that the mess has a purpose. And when you're putting that puzzle together, guess what happens? Inevitably, there are pieces that you pick up that don't fit the puzzle at that moment. Why? Because there are not enough puzzle pieces there to make that one make sense. So what has to happen? You have to journey on in faith that that puzzle piece that don't fit one day will fit at some point in time. And that's what the Bible is saying. You're going to have to lay some puzzle pieces to the side right now because you don't understand it. But trust this, that whether in this life or the next, every piece of your puzzle of your life inside of God's greater puzzle of the history of the world will make sense. Every piece of the puzzle has a purpose, whether you understand its placement or not. The disciples were torn to pieces when Jesus was on the cross, right? They fled, they scattered, they thought, how in the world can this be the plan of God? And yet, listen to what Peter said. This Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. All of a sudden, Peter had a puzzle piece called the cross that didn't make any sense, and he just had to set it aside. But it wasn't but 50 days later, after Christ had risen from the dead, that Peter could go back and pick that puzzle piece up at Pentecost and tell everybody, you know what, I had a moment in my life that didn't make sense. How could the, how could the God of the universe be crucified by sinful and lawless men. But you know what? That piece of the puzzle makes sense now. I'm not saying that every situation of your life is going to make sense here on this earth. I, I, I'm not telling you that God always provides understanding for everything, but I can tell you this. There, whatever piece of the puzzle is sitting on the sideline right now, trust God in this. It has a purpose, and it might take you going to heaven to understand what that purpose ultimately is. But trust me, no piece of the puzzle will be left undone. In the face of this uncertainty, here's what I'm leaving you with. God may not give you the answer to every situation, but He promises to provide you all that you need to trust Him. In the face of uncertainty, don't let what you cannot control, destroy what you cannot enjoy. So here's my word, four words to you this morning. This is the sermon. You say, why didn't you give us these four words to start with? We could have been gone 30 minutes ago. Don't worry. Not, not be happy. I set you up. I knew that's what y'all would think. Y'all want to sing that song now, don't you? You know how to play that song? No. Don't worry. Just worship. Don't worry, 
just worship. We even have a hymn in our hymn book. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. Don't worry, just worship. As the people of God, may our faith be contagious and not our fear. Be cautious and entrust yourself to the Father's care. I want you to stand this morning. We're going to sing two songs to end. Because you know what I believe? we got a whole book in our Bible called the Psalms. It's a, it's a hymn book. And sometimes what we need in our moments of despair and our moments of worry and anxiety, you know what we need to do? We just need to worship. We need to sing those truths to our hearts so that our hearts can rightly respond to what's going on in our world. So we're going to sing, How Great Is Our God. And then I asked David to sing an old hymn called Blessed Assurance. I can't think of two better songs for us to conclude and dismiss on this morning. So let's join our hearts as we worship through these two songs.